This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, a podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. Well, we hope that everybody had a lovely Mother's Day. Yeah, you know, Mother's Day. It's a complicated holiday, Marjorie. <laughs> it just is. It It is complicated because I think... There is um, a lot that comes with the role of mother. There's a yes. lot that people harbor in terms of their relationship with their mother. Yes. There can be a lot of grief that comes along with it when it comes to maybe the relationship with your mom that you wish that you had that you don't, or you have a mom who's no longer here. And so what that brings up for you. So it's, it's tricky. Well, it's a tricky devil, that Mother's Day. We've talked about the Mother's Days of my youth, so I don't think my mother will mind that I say it again. <laughs> my mother's tradition was to leave on Mother's Day, yeah, yeah, which was very, very complicated as a child. <laughs> as an adult, I kind of understand it, but you I get wish it. she had been a better communicator. Instead of just grabbing that time for herself, I wish she had communicated to us that that's what she was doing, because I think in retrospect... We all understand it because I think more than anything else for Mother's Day, ironically or oddly, mothers kind of want time away from their kids. Yes. Although what's interesting is that like nobody would question like a dad wanting to golf on Father's Day. Like it's right. Father's Day, go golf. Right. I don't my know. Mother, Listen, My mother, the ultimate feminist. There's making... a lot to, I know, I do respect that. I respect I it. But I get the communication. I think the communication request is is definitely fair, fair. there. I saw yeah. something on Instagram recently that people were reposting and it was something to the effect of, I wish I could find the original post, but it's lost in the gram land. <laughs> Something to the effect of what moms really want for Mother's Day is like a shower alone, a nap, right. Right. A, the ability to sleep, a bath. And then the point was, hey, why do moms have to ask for basic hygiene or yeah. like basic things in life like sleep in on a special day? Like, shouldn't right. we have a system set up? That moms are just able to care for themselves. You don't have to be like, oh, it's Mother's Day. Could I please shower alone? <laughs> Uninterrupted. Go to the bathroom. Seems like alone. every time I'm taking a shower, someone wants something from me. And it's not just limited to the children. It's like everyone everywhere. I'm like, can you guys? I don't I don't want to know what Jay wants from you when you're in the shower. Oh, uh, I'm sure you know. And there, <laughs> there you have it. Here we go. It. 
Um, but it is Mother's Day. It was just Mother's yeah. Day. I, as we're recording this, it hasn't happened yet. Although I did get my favorite Mother's Day thing today because I did drop off for the kiddos. And so this is when, um, the daycare teachers who are just so wonderful, they ask the kids to fill out that little sheet about you. Yes. Like they ask them the question. And so right. Frankie drew me. Um, oh. and then she was at, Frankie was asked her favorite food is about me, pizza right. luce. Which I said, that's fair. I love pizza from Pizza Lucha. Is that Lucha. what he said? That's what he said my favorite food is. That's I think that's actually su- his favorite food, but it's that's kind of what- a sophisticated little answer. My children. I love, our, listen, I love our little foodie. If we bust out like a frozen pizza, they're like, this isn't Pizza Lucha. That is legit what they say. Oh um, when <laughs> asked so much trouble, when asked what my age was, he said she is 20 and a half years old. Perfect money. And then also asked, uh, this is what he replied to when it says, she is the best because, and Frankie said, she loves me and she gives us nice food. Oh, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm succeeding as a parent. You are, because you know what I love about that is that idea of food and memory, food and memory. And it's so important. And I, so, you know, in this moment, you are succeeding. You're exactly right. And I would like you to send me, if you just privately send me a picture of that, of those questions, because I'm going to send them to my children and see how they answer them. <laughs> that sounds great. I will. Yeah. I'll send it to I you want right to know now. 30 and 28. What and I'll post it. Of me? It's very, very fun. So we came across this study that was just released a couple of days ago, and it seemed appropriate to talk about this post Mother's Day. We're calling this and the survey says because a <laughs> website, it's a lifestyle brand website called Motherly, did an extensive survey of mothers. And they do this every couple of years. And I think the last time it was done, well, they've done it every year, actually. And I think the results are sadly not surprising. Yeah. Like I went through the results. I think you have too. The CEO of Motherly, Jill Kozel, explains that the annual state of motherhood study not only validates hypotheses about working motherhood, it also arms today's mothers with data to advocate for change. Well, that's good. That's their motive. Mm -hmm. That's their motive is to look at these questions, to look at the answers and to see where the weaknesses are for mothers sort of in public policy, where society is failing mothers, which I think we talk about often on this podcast, Mm -hmm. that, that there should be more support for not only working mothers, but stay-at-home mothers and especially single mothers. So this is what was really interesting to me, Elizabeth. It talked about how working mothers are the most educated cohort in today's workforce. Oh, gosh. That should be stunning to us as women. Yeah. It is good news to us as women that more women are have higher education than men. But for as a woman of sons, I think this is also where we have to remember we only succeed if both genders or all genders or however you want to look at the spectrum succeeds. Mm-hmm. So I won't even speak of one or two genders, but all everybody succeeds. And so in terms of education, I do think that's good for women, but I do think that that's something that we have to be mindful of with our sons as well. So we'll start with the stats because I want to get your reaction to some of these. So they write in this Forbes column and this article is written by, I always want to give credit by, Christine Michelle Carter, and it appeared in Forbes magazine. She says, four years ago, 58% of working moms still planned on having more children. This year, and for the first time, that percentage dropped 16 percentage points to just 42% of millennial 
and Gen Z moms intending to have another child. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I think the last two years, like the level of stress and the level of just like how I can't even navigate what I currently have, much less the idea of adding another person into the mix. I mean, you know, if you're going to have another one, it's probably got to be accidental. Yeah. <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? Yeah, yeah. And I get that. I think that that I think, you know, because if you're in a time of feeling already like you're drowning, right. you know, I mean, Jim Gaffigan famously says his joke is, what's it like to have five kids? He says, imagine that you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. You know, that's what it feels like. to have <laughs> Oh, my God, that's great. Kids. It's a very funny bit. Yeah, he's very funny. You know, he and his wife are very Catholic. And so they always talk about these all these children the that many, they have. Yes. The many children. Not the so children. Catholic because they stopped at five. Yeah, fair. <laughs> so that's, that's I grew up with fair. a lot of Catholic families. We're talking 10 <laughs> to 11 to 12 to 13 children. It's so many. But, I just can't even imagine. But, yeah, I get that. I don't think that's yeah. surprising that that number of people wanting to have another child is going down, which I, I would like to see people making that decision based on feeling like their family is complete, right. not feeling like the world is so miserable and chaotic and I have so much on my plate that I can't even fathom it, even though that's what I would have wanted. You know, that doesn't right. feel good to me. It doesn't feel good because I think as a society, it means that we're failing with some of the social sort of structures that we need for women to feel supported. The author goes on to say that the the impact of that, the fact that women kind of are saying that they don't want to have any more children. She said companies have invested in the training and education of their female workforce only to find that when they become mothers, a leaky pipeline of talent begins. This has led to an unconscious bias against women and specifically mothers that has had huge economic implications. She adds that in the past, companies have gotten by without addressing this leaky pipeline of female talent because there has been a substantial educated male workforce ready to pick it up. But she goes on to say women have been layering roles, layering household, childcare, and professional responsibilities with little additional support from society, corporations, or government. However, the millennial generation is the first generation in history in which women are more educated than men. Therefore, companies and our economy must figure out how to keep educated women working in the workforce once they enter motherhood. Now, I have a particular – that speaks to me because my whole career was influenced by that issue in terms of being worried about child care, that my pay not being able to keep up with what my child care was costing. Yeah, I mean, I was a behind-the-scenes producer. Don't make a lot of money, especially mm -hmm. back in the day. And so for a time, it was a complete wash. What I was making pretty much just went to childcare. And it was a calculated decision I made because I was trying to keep the gaps in my resume to a minimum. So I worked on and off all the way through raising my children with the intention of never losing a step, but it was costly. Yeah. And so I think that, and that goes to what a lot of these next things, and I think you'll find these really interesting. So in this motherly survey of mothers, it said two times more women left the workforce than men in 2021. Isn't that amazing? Stunning. Yeah. That and didn't happen why. with my friends. I mean, I don't, I don't have a lot of, I don't, I hear these statistics. I don't see it in my circle of people. I but, do see more of like my friends sort of reevaluating Maybe, but everybody that I know kind of stayed in. But here's, I think here's, and you can, I don't know your circle, but I think here's a large part of that. 
is reevaluation is a luxury. Yeah. Survival is the issue. Yeah. And so if you're in a certain economic group, you have the luxury to reevaluate. I did because my husband made a pretty good income. Mm-hmm. So I could do that childcare trade-off and feel good about it until my salary could catch up and the kids were in school. I hadn't really lost a beat. All of those things were true for me. But I never look at that as anything but a luxury, that I was able to do that. I think people who are struggling, if you're sort of in the middle, middle, middle income of, you know, bracket, I don't know what dollars that would be, then you really have to make that childcare trade-off. Yes, if you're making $35,000 a year and you have two or three kids and you're paying for childcare. Oh, there's no way. You stay home. Yeah, Those are the women yeah. that left the workforce. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's fair and that's true. And if it became clear that they weren't going to have the child care that they needed, or right. if it was people who were maybe in a job that you were like, uh, you know, I didn't really, I don't really love this that much anyway. I'm not totally right. fulfilled by this anyway. So we can, you know, and I'm already paying so much for child care. I mean, child care is oh. expensive. You, there's no way you can do $35,000 a year and pay. I don't know what you're doing. I mean, if you're you in, live in like a small town and you've got an in-home daycare that yeah. it can be a lot cheaper, I mean, yeah. in the city, that's impossible. Yeah. You're, I think it, in, for a lot of people who are struggling, you're in unlicensed daycare. Yeah. Or if you have like grandparents that can help, I mean, you know, right. you can, you can add in those things. We don't have those things. <laughs> we have, well, mo- I, honestly, I don't think hard. most people do. I mean, yeah. for me with childcare, the fact that I loved what I was doing made the trade-off okay. My job was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was working, I was working at, you know, Harpo Studios then. I was traveling a lot. I was doing interesting work. If it hadn't been, if I was just sort of punching a clock, it would have been no way. Yeah. I mean, I make that exchange. That's true. I, you know, listen, I maintain, I've maintained this since I had children that the happiest women I know are the ones who are working three days a week. Yeah. Um, if you're home full time, you feel really overwhelmed and isolated. Not all the time. I mean, this is, this is generally speaking. But there's no break if you're home if all the time. You're, it's, there's no break and there's right. no sick days and there's no, and you know, this is when they're little and they're not going to school and they're not doing things. When you, if you are gone full time, you feel like your wheels are, I'll speak for myself, constantly spinning your wheels. Right. And constantly feeling like, um, you know, like you're missing out on things. So it's really hard. It's just, it's a hard deal. My friends who I know who work three days a week, they can generally swing, like they'll still probably do full-time childcare so they can get, um, so they can get a day to like catch up and do stuff. They can, you know, they feel like they can take a breath and then they also get a little bit more time with their kids. It's ideal. I mean, the only way I stayed sane in those baby years was that I had, I had a nanny I three days a week. Mm-hmm. I had um I had preschool. So the kids would go to preschool. And then I had and then later I had live in a woman who lived with us because I was traveling. Yeah. Um, but even still I was only working probably tops nine months out of the year. So I would do a project for six weeks and then be off for three or four weeks. And that's what gave me sanity is because I could always if things were getting as we all know that feeling when you have little kids, when you start to feel like I have lost control. Yeah. I've lost control of everything. Yeah. I could go, okay, I've got two weeks more 
and then I can pull it all back together. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very hard. And I think that's what some of these, um, this survey shows on the childcare issue. It went on to say 46% of mothers still unemployed now left the workforce in 2021 due to childcare issues. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I saw that with you. Yeah. How you it, was, it was a living nightmare. Yeah. I mean, it really was like navigating it and it took like a full village and we were, you know, we were sharing help and nannies and figuring all this out all in the name of trying to not expose anyone to anything, by the way, but you still had to f- expose people right. to something because you had to figure out how to work. It, it, it was a complete backwards, <laughs> just well, backwards. What's now in retrospect, Elizabeth, what's sort of stunning is that through most of it, I think your childcare for your youngest children stayed open. That did happen. And I have really, um, amazing. I mean, and I, you know, I, I have like so much love for teachers and I so appreciate what teachers do. And I think teachers have had a real, you know, rough deal the last two years. I, and at the same time, I feel like daycare workers have not at all gotten the attention that they deserve on sort of a national media scale. Like you just don't see the headlines about daycare workers like you do about teachers. And this isn't to say that teachers don't deserve the attention. This is to say that daycare workers also deserve the attention because, um, you know, our daycare stayed open nonstop. I mean, they closed like on occasion two weeks at a time to for different classrooms and they isolated and they did all of this. And it was, um, it is amazing when you think about the full shutdown of schools yep. and yet there was this entire population of tiny humans, just slightly tinier, that were still all being cared for in centers um, all across the country. Right. It, it's a challenging thing to think about. I owe my daycare and- teachers another round of Starbucks gift cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, and what when I think back to that, because I only lived through that part of society through you. Yeah. And I could see what a difference that was making for you. Now, one of your children had sort of passed out of it. So you were still, you had sort of two strains going Um, all, but all of your children needed care. So if one of them's not getting care, that still heightens the tension of what you're going through. You know, had they all been in daycare, I think it would have been a very different story. We wouldn't have been able to do it because yeah. I wouldn't have been able to work. I mean, I really, right. one of us would have had to quit working. This is exactly what happens because right. the problem was like my six-year-old at the time, I could manage like doing Zoom meetings with her around, right? I could right. manage like we right. could we could kind of shuffle her back and forth. Right. You can't do that at the mm-hmm. time with a three-year-old and a baby. I mean, right. there that's impossible. So that's when if they, that the daycare was my lifeline. Right. 100%. Well, and I think for so many mothers out there, if the daycare stayed open, that was one touchstone of stability in the midst of chaos, mm-hmm. which psychologically we can't even gauge what that really meant is right. that that was the one consistent thread. And I've got to say to the daycare workers, if you really think about it in terms of COVID, they're the absolute front line. Front I mean, line. you can't find a messier group you can't find a messier population than zero to three. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the ones with the rivers of snot running out of their nose. And they're the ones that need to be physically close to you. There's no yes. social distancing <laughs> option when you're with infants. Yeah. I mean, really, and like yeah. in all seriousness, I mean, yeah. you know, I, even 
and our daycare really resisted masks for as long as possible. I mean, because there is such a deep concern about the social, this is how infants learn is seeing faces. Infants only focus on faces. This is like, that is their whole world is to recognize faces. That's how they learn language. That's how they learn everything. And so, I mean, there's a, there's a concern there, regardless of how you feel about them. I don't want to bring up the mask issue and then get 150 emails, but I'm just saying, I don't think there's well, debate within a early childhood ed community no. that masks are detrimental when it comes to small children learning social skills and learning to speak. Well, Done. the only experience I have with that is wearing a mask around my mother who yeah. has trouble seeing yeah. and trouble hearing. Yeah. And so it makes everything really complicated. And yeah. COVID sort of made a run through where she lives. Um, we were still allowed in this time around. I, di- I missed the first time around. But the second time around, we were still allowed in, but we were required to wear our masks even when we were sitting with her privately mm-hmm. in her room, which I completely understand and we followed. But I could just see it from that perspective. It was very hard to communicate yeah. because she – you know, her senses were depleted. So mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so another uh, statistic from this motherly.com uh, survey of mothers, I just find all of this really interesting. And it, it really does bring back sort of my own visceral anxiety of when I was juggling childcare <sighs> and trying to have a career. It was really hard. This and is my life. I just spent an hour this morning on the summer calendar and sending oh it God. to our nannies. Yes. Summers was, it was hell. (laughs) And this is why, like, this was the beauty of freelance. It's why I never took jobs in the summer because it just was crazy trying to patch together. And for all of those mothers out there who are out of the toddler phase, but now into like the six through 12 phase, (laughs) good luck with summer. Like it doesn't get any easier. It's a lot. It's a lot to navigate. Yeah. I mean, and so as I go through this, it's like, I, I feel for everybody because I can't say been there, done that because COVID didn't strike when my kids had children. And I think that's been a really defining moment for all of you mothers, but I I feel it. Um, 59% of women in 2021 say that they are dissatisfied with childcare. Yeah, that's probably because their childcare closed at different times. You know, I mean, I think that was probably like a very difficult thing. 33% 33% report childcare creates a constant financial strain. It's a constant financial strain. The amount is staggering. When yeah. I get my year-end statement, it's shocking. And it, it, it's so odd because it's shocking, but at the same time, I know it's not enough because I know that the people who are working in those fields should be making more money, right. which I just had that conversation about our daycare, that they need to be charging more. And I was like, listen... This is probably maybe not like the parent thing to say when I'm paying so much, but like, I really think they should be charging more. This is, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of stunning in a way when you think about how as a society, I don't think we have yet prioritized universal daycare for everyone. And I know that's kind of a controversial thought here right. in America. Yeah, it is. But but we had a friend who lived in Europe and her kids, the expectation is that the mother takes a full year off mm-hmm. and there is state subsidized daycare for everyone to like age three. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure about to age three. I might be making that up. But I remember talking to her and having children was not a stressor for her. Mm-hmm. 
And I just think, I wish, I wish that I were smarter or that I really better understood, but I can't help but think that that investment in zero to three would somehow save us money in the long run. You know, it gets tricky because I think you're right. I mean, you, you, the problem is now that we're even like prevented from having a conversation about it because it's so heavily politicized. And so it turns into like, if you even say like, I would like, you know, an investment in childcare in subsidization, it's like, holy hell, you're a socialist, which, you know, is, it couldn't be further from the truth. So I think like stepping back and going, hey, let's not label someone who's saying something that they would like to have. And also, folks, let's get real about looking at all the stuff our government subsidizes. Tons of crap, FYI. I mean, I'm just saying, and like I... I'm just speaking as a human being, not as a, as a, you know, speaker of any party. I do have a political science degree. Thank you very much, Marjorie Punnett. That being said, um, you know, like we subsidize tons of crap, tons of crap all over the place. You think like the government isn't paying for just tons of garbage nonstop. When you look at what our government subsidizes, it is probably in line with like 3% of my personal values. I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. And so to say like, oh, well, we can't say that, you know, we should have paid maternity leave because that would just like break the bank. It's like, okay, guys, like really? Because as far as I know, that applies even if you just did paid maternity leave and you didn't even include paternity leave. That includes then about half of the population, right? It includes them maybe, what's the average? Two to three children, maybe. I would probably say the average is two at this point in the United States of America. So you've got half the population two times in their life and that's going to make and make or break us like well that's insane it goes back to where we started on that question which is this is the first generation where the women have more education than men and that companies are going to have to get real about this what they what did they call it the um the talent leak you know as women sort of are veer off a career path because they're trying to balance children they're trying to balance motherhood and a career And as this writer says in Forbes, that companies are going to have to get real about the fact that they can't keep losing women just because they become mothers Mm -hmm. when women are the more educated sex. I mean, right now, statistically, right. Statistically, that's the first time ever. And so I think, and I, I do love sort of the mission of this state of motherhood study And their point is, is that once we know these things, once we know what we're dissatisfied with, what can we do to further empower ourselves as mothers? So Mm -hmm. for ourselves and then for our children. I mean, honestly, I, I would love to talk to any mom and see what mother would not want. I mean, it's incredulous to me that somebody wouldn't, and, and you can write me. I don't care that would, that would not want subsidized childcare. So that every child was in a good situation as a baby right? and through their toddler years. Right. Like I, I have, if that makes me a socialist, I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to declare it today, but <laughs> honestly, I just don't know how we can't come. I don't know how we can't be more. I don't know what we can do to make ourselves more vocal about that, but these right. statistics make me angry. Right. Right. Um, 
So when, when I mean, because, uh, you know, listen, there's plenty. Again, there's tons of stuff that's subsidized. You want to talk about big corn production, big soy right. production? Let's talk about it. Like it's all subsidized by the right. government. There are tax breaks for all sorts of things. There's the, the farm bill is massive. You know, there are all of these things and we just can't find it in our hearts to ever put the dollars towards women and children. children. It's shocking to me. But you, you know what part of the problem might be, as I'm thinking about this now in real time, is that when you're a mother and you're working full time and you have these little babies, you've got nothing left. There's there's nothing left for political advocacy. Yeah. You're tired. I know. So I'm. this is a call out to all the 50 pluses. It's on us. We've got time. Yeah, to say, and to to say like, not, well, when we were young, we had it this hard. How about I want it better for the people that are behind us? You know, which actually makes me think of something. Um, I just was having a conversation with our nanny the other day and I had asked her to stay late one night Right. and she said, you know what? I can't, um, because I've got a big AP test the next day and I know I have to study. And I said, oh my gosh, no problem. We'll figure it out, which we figured it out. We had another babysitter come It like worked out great. And, um, then the next day I talked to her and, um, I asked her what AP test it was. And I was like, you know, I'm really proud of you for saying no. And for like knowing you right. needed to prioritize studying. And she goes, it was really hard for me to do. Cause I like really loves with being with you guys. And I always <laughs> like, like love working for you. And I want it, you know, I like want to make things yeah. easy for you. And I was like, Margot, like this, yeah. I said, you are going, you have to learn to say no. And like being able to exercise that and practice that yep. at your age at 17 and on understanding the bigger picture and taking a minute to go, what do I need to prioritize here and right. say no to the thing that I, that kind of came a little bit lower Right. was even though that might've been the thing that you really had a hard time saying no to, I was so proud of her. And so that's sort of, I don't know when you think about it, like I'm 40, She's 17, you know, hopefully that's reinforcing to her and then she'll be better off than I was when I was in college, you know? Right. And I think that's, a. I think that's, you know, one of the things that I know I absolutely sucked at, which was negotiating my worth at work. Terrible. It's hard. Terrible at that. Yeah. And I think this next generation, certainly by the students I worked with and I continue to be in touch with as they grow their careers, they're awesome. Like, they're awesome at it. I have one student who calls me every time she makes a job change, and we talk about her contract, and we talk about what she's worth, and we talk about she knows what she's worth. She doesn't need me to tell her, but she uses me as a sounding board, and I'm so proud of her. Yeah. Because she just marches right in and says, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I'm worth. And it's like, amen to that. (laughs) So, I mean, I think there's progress, but when I look at this, because as I've said before, the whole point of motherly doing this survey every year is so that they can see sort of where motherhood stands from a public sort of from a from a public standpoint. Yeah. And I just think I don't know how you make I don't know how you push advocacy on young mothers. I don't because I think you're too tired. So I say again, maybe this is something all of us who have been through it need to work harder to change for the ones behind us mm-hmm. because we have more time. You just do. Yeah. We just do. I have more time. So that sounds I think amazing. Really more time sounds really great. I would I'm like so more sorry. Time. <laughs> I know. We'll get there. We'll get there. It's okay. We'll there. You will we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. Um, let me see. Let me wrap this up. I do think these are, and we can go through these really quickly. Um, 40% of women now contribute more than half of the household income. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't think that's surprising. 50% of breadwinning moms also still manage the majority of household of the household workload. Yeah, that's the problem. That's up 10% from 2018. So I think what COVID did is there was more work to be done and mm-hmm. the women had to take it on. Yeah, totally. Had to completely had to take it on. It is a constant negotiation. You know, I talk about this regularly and yeah. I, you know, I love Jay Reimers very much and he's a wonderful husband and he's a wonderful father. And it is, uh, it is a consistent battle for me to go, hello, excuse me. Like this is not working for me. This is not right. fair. And it is, um, a blind spot that I just don't think I, I don't think I'm alone in that because I no. just think so many men, I, I don't know, Jay consistently too will just be like, Oh, that takes like two seconds to do that. Mm-mm. Well, that's like two seconds. And I'm like, okay, well, let's add up 150 tasks. Right. You know, and it, that's just constant. And, and again, that's why you feel like that wheels spinning. And then, you know, we got into it a couple of weeks ago because this is why Jay doesn't listen to the podcast. So I can tell you guys this stuff, but he, um, because I had created this whole, like, we went through this whole discussion of what was going to happen next fall to give you the Cliff's notes version. We have like a tricky situation in the fall because our son Franklin is four. He turns five in July. And so you have to make that decision. Are you going to have them be the youngest one in the class or are you going to hold them back? If you decide to hold them back, it's not really working to stay in our same daycare situation. So we have like this little gap year deal. So anyway, we had to figure out all, all of these different things. It's like, do we want to have three different schools? Are we going to like, what are we doing? So we're like navigating all of this. I come up with this full pro con list of, of, we basically narrowed it down to two options. Neither one is perfect by a long shot, but it's also just, this is what we have to work with for this nine month period that we've got to kind of navigate this. So I like come up with the whole thing. I send Jay an entire pro and con list. I have broken down the entire cost. I have broken down the moving parts, like all these different things. He's like, okay, let's go with option one, which also just irritates me that it's like, oh, I'm like presenting you and then you get to choose. Like that's annoying. And then number two was irritating when I then sign all the contracts, get everything set, like move forward. And then we're like out to dinner and he was like, okay, so what's happening here? Like, I don't think this is the best way to go. And I literally was like at the sushi restaurant about to rip his head off and dunk it in soy and wasabi and then kick it because I was so mad because, and then I later had to, I mean, I, I like kind of lost it because I was just so angry of like, I did all this legwork and I am not your secretary. I am not your assistant. I do not get paid by you to be an assistant to deliver that. And I said, and I hope that you would treat your assistant better who brought you a plan. And then you have the nerve to say, oh, I don't know if this is right. And I know I'm not alone because I have vented this story to a few other women. And I have heard that they get the same thing with their husbands who will just make like a cavalier comment of like, well, I don't, is that really the right thing to do? And you're like, I, I, I cannot even tolerate you. And so that is where, I mean, that's where the problem is. I think it's, it's in the workplace, but it's also at home because we just have not reached this point of, of just like eyes wide open of what does it take to run a household 
and who's doing the work and how is it divided equally, even for men who are like, like, I think one of the things Jay was most attracted to me about was my passion for my career. He like loves that about me. I know he's so proud of what I do. He supports a lot of wonky stuff that he has to endure because of my career choice and because of the public nature of my career. Okay. There's like a lot of weird stuff. And, um, but he doesn't see, he doesn't see the weight that I pull at home. Like he just doesn't. This is still, and, and this is, this is the hope for the next generation, to be honest, because I think the only way this is going to change, and it already has changed. I mean, I'm older than you are. So the fact that you have a husband that completely supports your career, Mm -hmm. that's progress. You know, that was the, that was the amazing thing about my father and my mother. My mother was very successful. She was in public relations. We're talking 1969, 1970, 1971, 72. By, by the late 70s, she was a vice president of the largest public relations firm in the world. It's so badass. It's kind of badass. It is. She could only do that because my father was so, supportive. Mm-hmm. There was no guilt. I never remember him saying, you know, why isn't dinner on the table? Or why are you flying to New York again? Or any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was none of that. Now, what I think was true for them is there were things that got neglected in the child rearing because they were both working and that that full catch-up hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But I think, you know, a, a husband supporting his wife's career, we're getting there. I think the problem is, is it almost is going to take a generation of like for Frankie and for Heathcliff yeah, to see mom and dad sharing that load equally. It's the modeling that has the power. So when they see Jay cooking dinner, they see Jay making appointments, they see Jay taking him to school, they see Jay doing the laundry, whatever they're seeing, if they yeah. see that equal yoke, that's what's getting modeled for them. And then it would be most natural for them to do that in their own homes. The problem is, is for men that may not have seen that, and I'm not commenting on Jay because I don't know Jay's childhood. And I think his was different because of the hockey thing and everything else. But I think for traditional children, if they're seeing, if they're not seeing that equal sharing, it's very hard for, it's very hard for it to become sort of woven into the DNA of manhood. We've talked about this and it's as simple as don't make me, tell you to take out the garbage yeah. just see that the garbage needs to be taken out yeah that's ssg sexy solutions guy that's what i tell jay he is when yeah. he does that i don't want to hear about the problem i just yeah. want to see the solution and then i say oh ssg sexy solutions guy i like it that's 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 what we have going on at the house but don't you think that's true though that it's not until the next generation where it's woven into what they've been what's been modeled in front of them. Yeah, that it's yeah. 50-50. I think you know this is the thing though. I do think that that maybe more kids are seeing like a, a gender equality when it comes to like you know doing the dishes or yep. like you know Jay does drop off every day like those yep. kinds of things. But where the inequality still really remains is the mental load of the constant inventory. I mean, cause Jay will say like, Oh my gosh, we don't have, we're low on toilet paper. And I'm like, go to the store and buy toilet because yeah. I, I said, do you yeah. understand how many items I keep a mental inventory of in my right. brain? You wouldn't have room in your brain for 10% of what I keep <laughs> in my brain for a mental inventory. This is 100% the truth. And, um, 
and it's true. He d- he would not because, and I'm like, if we run out of something, because I have not had the time to go and get something, I do not want to hear from you. Why are we out of this? I want you, you to go it. to the store and get it right. because I have 500 other things. Like, have yeah. you ever looked in the kid's closet and thought, oh, I need to get X, Y, Z because they have grown out of X, Y, Z. There has never been a time. Right. Or have you ever mapped out a summer calendar? Have you ever, you know, like, have well, you ever instigated a school tour? Have you ever been the initiator of that? No. I mean, you show up and you go with me. And so right. we have, we certainly have like some more equality when it comes to the execution, but it when it comes to like, the, the innovation load. of it and the mental load of it, that is what is not at all equal. I think in a lot of households, particularly if you have men who are married to like high performing women who just can like, who just have do. a high capacity, but that high capacity comes at a cost. It means panic attacks in your forties. I'm just going to tell you that's no what kidding. it means. But I would say, I, th- I think there are solutions to this for this generation and the next generation. And I do believe, you know, that women have to make sure that they are modeling this and that their husbands are modeling this for their children mm-hmm. because that's going to help the next generation. I mean, that was really important to me with my boys is that who they became was useful to society and to their own family, yeah. you know, that they, that they would understand now, neither of them are married, so I don't know what I've done, but, you know, maybe they never will do that. But well, I think know. that that modeling that mental load is important. And I don't know how you do that other than, like, do you drag your husband in and have a wardrobe discussion in front of your <laughs> child? I mean, how much how much of this do you have to do? But I, I but know I it's the think, assigning of the tasks. That's a well, challenge. I think it goes back to lanes. And this is something that women, I think, have to do effectively, which is figure out what the lanes are, divide them up, and then release control. Yeah. And just so you you just, you know, grocery shopping is yours 100%. I'm never going to touch that lane and take it out of your mind. So if there's no milk, there's no milk. And just get, and just let it go. And it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But I think, I think if we're talking about reducing the mental load, that's the only way you can really effectively do it is if you just take chunks out of your brain. Yeah, that's true. And then on a bigger picture, I mean, there, it's never going to make, I mean, you're never going to solve the problem of women leaving the workforce if childcare isn't more affordable. I mean, right. it's just not going, because the finances just don't add up. It, it's no. just not going to add up for people. And so then, then there you are, there you have it. And I mean, it's really kind of hard to believe that like, you know, there was a time when kindergarten was, when I was a kid, it was a half day deal. It was half day. I mean, it was not full day. Right. And then I don't even know if it like existed before that. I mean, it's probably time for a shift in like, Hey, kids need to be in preschool three to four. That needs to be part of the package deal that we're providing. Right. I mean, it, the fact that it isn't, it's, it's kind of strange. Yeah. It's stunning to me when all of the research shows how important zero to five is in setting the tone for the educational outcomes for that child for the rest of their lives. Yeah. So if that's the case, why aren't we taking responsibility as a society for the very least three to four? Right. For the very for the least. the very least. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Yeah. I, I mean, mean and think crazy. about like what that financial 
burden relief would mean if you had, if, if you had like a subsidized or if you had free, I mean, if you had like public, um, public school for three to four year olds, I mean, for a lot of families, that's $12,000 a year. Easy. Oh, it would change everything for so many women. Because if you're really looking at zero to two, a lot of women might be able to say, okay, I'm just going to stay home zero to two mm-hmm. because I know at three, I've got subsidized daycare. Yeah. Studies would show that if you're a good mother and you stay home zero to two, that too only benefits your child. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no downside other than if it's an unstable home. Obviously. Yeah. Or if it's something that you as a mother is just like, I can't. You don't do want to do Like this yeah. is not my yeah. jam. but. I think that's all really interesting. So that's all I've got for today. It's a lot. Look at all that we covered. Listen, I, I mean, we even tired. got into socialism. I know. I'm going to need an afternoon coffee today. <laughs> got to go do, I got to go do TCL and I got to have, I'm going to have to have like a little, some sort of latte to get me through the afternoon after this. Just one, darling? I don't know. You got that I did only have machine. Yeah, I do. You got to come and visit it. It's that's worth a trip. It's complimentary when you stay here. You know, it's really lovely. I love staying with you. <laughs> Promise, I might not want to leave. I know. I go, it I go is... visit these friends. I, they have these cozy rooms that I don't want to leave. Yours it's especially. Very fun. We've got friends coming. Um, I've got a friend coming next weekend with her daughter, and I'm like so excited about it. Oh, it's going to be great. very good stuff. All right, listen. If you are enjoying this podcast. I hope you're not Jay Rymers because I hope you didn't listen. <laughs> Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Listen, guys, they're just not all perfect like they're us. Not. They are not going to be as perfect as us. It's <laughs> difficult for them. Uh, Laura writes today, two lovely life guides. She said, I love listening to these intimate conversations between Elizabeth and Marjorie. The topics help guide people to their best lives while investigating all sorts of different topics. Their professional voices and questions, endless curiosity and humor, desire for growth and expansion make this podcast a valuable and inspiring addition to life. Thank you for creating this. So grateful. Well, That's Laura from Toxie Free. <laughs> she should like this podcast. She was on this podcast two times. You did a great job. I know. I that's wonderful. Yes, that's Laura. You got to go visit her at Toxie Free in Stillwater. I just, oh, I, I want to move Laura. into her store. I know. Well, back at you, Laura. I've just been obsessing over her website, shoptoxiefree.com. That's all I do is look at it. It's wonderful. It's so beautiful. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best in the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. 
only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.